Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We are three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Glad to be back. I know it's been a little bit, um, but trying to get back to our regular scheduled programming. Um, as usual, start off with our mailbag. I know I didn't put one up, um, but I know everyone sent so many, so we always have this huge bag of all these questions we didn't answer. So I'm going to try and get through some of those, just uh, some all spread out throughout 2023. Um, so a couple interesting questions. First, um, what do our kids, I think all of us have at least two kids, what do our kids want to be when they grow up? I think all of our kids are, I mean, outside of Emma, um, but all of our kids are aged probably when they think about that. So yeah, what do our kids want to be when they grow up? Judah wants to be a professional basketball player. Oh, nice. dang. Nice. That's a crush his dreams in a few years. <laughs> Not yet. Hey, dude, has he watched Linsanity yet? No, but that's not going to. No, no, no. My son, my five-year-old son, he wants to be a scientist. I remember nice. wanting dude, to be a scientist. What is about scientists? I know. Nice. Yeah. I had, a, like, I had a scientist phase, too. Yeah. Um, and then I think my daughter... Uh, she changes all the time, but she's, I think she's right now wants to be a teacher. Mm. Nice. Oh, very noble professions. Love it. Yeah. My son, Elijah, who's five also wants to be a scientist. He wants to be a bat scientist <laughs> specifically. So, Hey, go for it, man. Uh, my daughter's still young. She's like four. So she wants to be just a princess. So mm. nice. <laughs> Gotta wake, wake her up with that soon. Um, yeah. Get to know our kids a little bit more. Another question. Uh, interesting one. What is a Christianese term that we three dislike the most? So there's a lot of terms, there's a lot of phrases, there's a lot of even theological statements probably. So yeah, anyone take a crack at that. It's not that I dislike this phrase, but I don't like the way it's used is when people throw around, throw around like for the glory of God or mm. for the kingdom. Because... Mm. Like this one guy, I joke with him all the time. So if he hears this, he knows I'm talking about him. Like he had like this super nice guitar that he was playing. And we're like, dude, like that guitar is like so nice. He's like, it's for the kingdom, man. We're like, shut up. (laughs) 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 And so it's almost like this phrase we use to almost like spiritualize things about ourselves that we just want to do for like our own glory or stuff like that. So I, I I don't mind the phrase, but I don't like the way Christians use that phrase to cover up like our own ambitions. I don't really like the phrase traveling mercies. <laughs> mm. Mm. People use that? I never yeah. heard that. I mean, yeah, I've, all the time. I'm a little older, but. Like, why, how, why in what I... context would they use that? No, they say like grant, you know, grant them traveling mercies. Oh, when you go like go. overseas or something? Well, but then, I, so yeah, if I'm sure that that's how it used to be used, but now they use it like you're going like, I don't know camping an hour away or something like i'm just like you know just pray for safe travel or something i I don't it's a very christianese thing um like all those like phrases that i think people say in prayers that there are other easier ways to say it but for some reason like traveling mercy is one of them like a hedge of protection that's Mm. another one i haven't heard that in a while yeah i would like i'm not saying like i like don't like it or like you know it's just, I, I think that's an example of Christians wanting to sound more profound than they necessarily yeah, yeah, have to yeah. be when they pray. Just, just be like, hey, I'll pray for safe, <laughs> safety, right? And I like that. Um, I don't want to be a hater, 
and you know charismatic brothers and sisters i love y'all but like that the phrase come on that like you know what i'm talking about oh like, during the preaching preaching or like even even so some charismatic people when you're talking with them like just like yeah like you know i just preach it's like come on man i'm just like <laughs> just or, right, or cool. in the sermon when someone says something you're like oh that's good yeah <laughs> a little like bit a little those bit. phrases yeah that's, and that's just i don't think, i don't think there's anything wrong with that so that's just more personal it's so. trying to be encouraging yeah yeah so. just trying to be yeah thank you um i guess for doing that but that's just yeah that's just me another question um this will be interesting because I think all three of us uh, are in either or. Um, what do you guys feel like church in the city versus a suburb looks like? Like, what are the differences between doing ministry in the city uh, versus a suburb? My impression of suburb versus city, apart from like things happen in the city first. So you guys will mm. play the popular praise music first, and then it slowly makes its way to the suburbs. You know, that's kind of I think one thing. But one thing I kind of notice practice wise is it feels like in the city, church is much more Sunday centric hmm. and suburbs, it's it's more like during the week. So like if you go to church on a Sunday at Citizens, I feel like they would gauge a lot on that Sunday experience hmm. versus I feel like in the suburbs, they want to know, hey, what's your community groups like? So hmm. they want, really want to gauge the, the communal life. So that's like the, the impression I have, but you could correct me if that's true or not. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's accurate. Um, in some ways. And uh, like I, I would say another thing, a big difference um, having been in suburban churches and also city churches is like the transience of the city. So I think when uh, with um, churches in the suburbs, a lot of people usually go to the suburbs to settle down. And so they're like, they're there to stay for the most part, you know, barring any big transitions. Like they're going to raise their, you know, get married there, raise their kids there. Usually that's a move that happens when you're you know, buying a home or, you know, looking for a better school district. Whereas I think in the city, you know, most of the time your people are there for three to four years and then they're on to the next place or they're on to the suburbs, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that changes in some ways, like the nature of how you do ministry, you know, and I think creates some unique challenges too. Every four years you could recycle the same stories and yeah. illustrations and it blows their mind. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Do either of you want to switch ministries in different settings at any point in your life? Like like, for me to go... Yeah, just, uh, go, to the, like, right just go to the OC, I guess. And I guess for Tom to go to LA or... I thought you do I, a good job in the suburbs. Jason? Yeah. He would kill it. He would kill it. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I do, like, I have a personal, like, love for the city. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're a musician um, at heart. Like, you're, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. so. Hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like Tom's preaching would do really well in the city. Yeah. I think even maybe better in the city than the burbs. I don't know if you feel that, Tom. I, I think uh, I like the people's questions in the city better because mm -hmm. there are questions about faith or the questions that I explore. I think the questions in the suburbs, it's like, how do I like raise like healthy kids? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, ah, you know, yeah, that's cool. But, but I don't know if I like the context of the city, like the transient nature, the busy and bustle stuff. So. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think Tom would do really well, like his, like his style of preaching, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I think it's good. Like his style of preaching, I think is very refreshing for like, 
both skeptics and cynics, which yeah. a lot of them are in the city. Asian Killerite, and, right? And they are not in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think Tom will kill in an East Coast city more than even a West Coast, but that's just my, my thoughts on that. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, another question. Do we have any opinion on the TV series The Chosen? Uh, full disclosure, I've, I've watched like clips of it. I've never watched mm. a full episode yet. It looks really well produced, but... Yeah, any thoughts on that? I I know there's like slight controversy on it. I'm not re- well read up on it at all, if there is. But yeah, any general thoughts on the chosen? Yeah, there was a there was a fairly big controversy on it because oh, why? Um, I don't remember if it was in one of their like behind the scenes episodes or if it was an oh, actual yeah. episode. I'm not sure, but there was like a on the episode itself there was a pride flag right. of a yeah, um, it was behind the scenes oh yeah behind the scenes it it wasn't as part of the episode but i think one of the like crew had like a pride flag and you could see it yeah and that like enraged the christian community mm. um and then that sparked a whole bunch of debates around you know does everyone who works on a set mm. like have to Mm. Like subscribe to a certain yeah, like yeah. certain belief systems values all that mm. stuff and so that created a big controversy i will say that the you know without having watched full episodes myself i've just seen it come up on my algorithm as well a few of the clips i have seen have been really like powerful mm-hmm. you know like there was this one scene that was going around and it was i think it was jesus talking to james um and it was it was Jesus talking to James about his limp, um, and that that scene was just like it. I don't know some like I just haven't seen like um, anything produced to that quality, and mm. you know where I felt that the acting was also mm. pretty on point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know too much about the show. I've never seen it. I have like a natural aversion to like Christian movies and films, not because of the message, but the quality. So like I, when I think of Christian films, I think of like Fireproof. I'm like, man, <laughs> of all the things I could watch, I'm not going to watch Fireproof. And yeah. so like God is I, not I, I, dead. Hear, I, hear, I hear Chosen, God is not dead. I hear Chosen though is a little bit higher quality, so I should watch it. But I do have a natural aversion to like Christian film industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very similar to Tom, but to Jason's point, the clips have been really, really good. Oh, cool. like, I should watch um, it. There's, I don't know if you watched this clip, Jason, but it's Jesus depict like it's depicting Jesus creating the Beatitudes, mm. and he's like telling Matthew as he writes it down, and then it's just I was like, oh, it's like I didn't even think about that. Like he probably had to do that too, but it was really mm. powerful how they did it. So mm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll watch it all together for a reaction episode in the future. <laughs> right. um, another episode. Oh, this is very interesting. What is something as pastors uh, we think about? the faith of the Christian faith that is very important, but is very difficult to facilitate or communicate in a large church setting. Um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the basis of our podcast name even, but yeah, I guess for you guys recently, or maybe even within your ministry as a whole, like what are parts of our faith that you realize like, wow, that is really important, but so difficult to preach on, to teach on, to like talk about. I would say one thing that's that, is very it's easy to talk about but i think it's very difficult to facilitate in a large church setting is sabbath you know Mm -hmm. because because i think sabbath in the bible is a communal is like a communal practice and it's like everyone 
Sabbathing at the same time. Um, but it's so hard when you're in a city and in a church where like, you know, you have people who work on Sundays and, you know, you have business owners, you have people who have different kinds of jobs, Yeah. you know, the busyness of the city. And it's like, it's like one, if one person Sabbaths, it's like really hard to, I think, mm-hmm. when everyone around them is not Sabbathing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when they're like moving at a certain rate. So like one thing I hear all the time is like, yeah, I see the importance of it. But like my bot, like my job depends on me actually working on this day Mm -hmm. or like my bot, I'm going to get fired and I need, I need to work. So I think there is like something really powerful in the scripture when, when like the entire community like Hmm. takes a break together. Um, Hmm. And it's hard, I think, to do in a Hmm. context like ours. Yeah. I think for me, what's what I want to talk about more, but it's hard to do so like at the pulpit or even create space in the church is talking about like emotional health and like your like mental illnesses and so forth. Because I think that's a lot of it's a product of the age we're in. You don't really see it like explicitly in scripture and yet it is there. And not to say scripture has nothing to say about it, but to do a deep dive into that, you almost need like time, you need space, you need vulnerability. And so I feel like it's really hard to create that, especially if people are like missing from church or they're transient, like in Jason's church, especially like in the Asian American context where it's, you just need time to be vulnerable. So I feel like really having that space to not just introduce the topic, but to actually bring healing and to grow in emotional health. I feel like that's really hard. Mm. That's good. That's good. I mean, this is very generic, but um, I think money is getting oh, yes. even more Ooh, difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. to talk That's about. That's a big one, yeah. But it's just like when I read scripture, especially the early church, it was such a shared commodity mm-hmm. that it's this weird balance of like, yeah, I don't think in the American church you can just be like, yeah, let's, like, what does it really mean to put all our possessions together and like share it? Like, you know, I'll be called a socialist if I if I preach on that. So I don't know. That's like a really, like, are we being unfaithful as the American church? That's something I was thinking about recently with that, so... That's that's that you know yeah I mean I I changed my answer that's the, <laughs> that's, that's, the, the, that's the one that's, that's the, the one, one. yeah tough, especially in Asian church where it's like you're taught as a family to keep your finances private you know so it's like mm. anyways yeah if anyone figured it out let us know we should do an episode on, we haven't done an episode on money right or like anything like that not explicit All right, maybe we should yeah. maybe we should um, lastly um, what. How, this is a very specific question, but I think something that we haven't even thought about, but I'm really interested to hear both of your answers. Um, how do you deal with church trauma, not individually, um, but as a whole family? I think especially with your children uh, thinking. So, you know, oftentimes we hear of members or like we even had Christian talking about um, trauma in, in all spaces within the Christian com- communities that we're a part of. But yeah, I guess for you guys, especially as parents and dads, um, what's any advice you would give on navigating church trauma with your family as a whole unit? I mean, it is important because I feel like one thing that's like missing when we talk about this subject is it's not just that person, whether they're the person who's causing the abuse or they're the victims of it. It's like, you're if you leave that church, you're removing your children also from the church community. Yeah, And you, it's really hard to explain to like your seven-year-old why you're leaving because of like an abusive situation or even like sexual scandal. Like, why are you taking them away from their friends? And so I do think that is a neglected topic that I've been recently been thinking about a lot. Like, how do you, how do you communicate this to your, your children? There are other people involved. 
Yeah. Uh, I do think though, it probably might be more the role of the parent to have that conversation. I'm not sure how much the church can do, but the parent just needs to really navigate that with their kids. But it is something that I think needs to be paid attention to because yeah, we don't often talk about the children who are often victims of that or they're like innocent bystanders almost. Um, thanks for all the old mailbag questions. I will have a new one up in our next episode. But with that, um, kind of connected to a couple of the questions we even asked. We wanted to do an episode about shame. Um, it's a very heavy topic, especially for the Asian American church. I think I would say almost every episode that we've already talked about, everything we've preached on, even on the pulpit, our churches is kind of covered in this, um, from our churches and our cultural backgrounds. So I wanted to do our best to just go at it. I know there's a lot of things we talk about, so we'll see where the conversation flows from there. But I thought this would be helpful to begin with. Um, out of the three of us, like, what is the best clear definition of shame that you've heard? Because I think we use that word a lot to describe a variety of emotions and states of beings. Um, but yeah, what's the best definition you've heard of shame that's helped you in your own individual life and looking at ministry? I know for me, one way to understand shame is comparing it to what we confuse it with, which is guilt and distinguishing those two is really helpful. Uh, Lewis Meads, he wrote something that I thought was helpful. He said, we feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. We may feel guilty because we lied to our mother, but we may feel shame because we are not the person our mother wanted us to be. I feel like that's like a nice way to look at it because guilt is it's actually a very individualistic thing, which is why like Western churches heavily emphasize the idea of Jesus forgiving us of our guilt and he makes us innocent in him. The shame is actually really communal. It's not how you necessarily, the things you do, but it's almost like how the community views you and how you view yourself. And so I think because of that, that distinction was helpful, just comparing it to guilt and seeing how it's really different in certain nuanced ways. Mm very helpful and i will talk about the distinctions of like living in a shame honor culture versus guilt in an innocent culture but that's really helpful jason anything else to add yeah i mean uh to to add to that yeah that 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 distinction was really helpful for me too like to go from i did something bad to i am bad mm. right and um i like Brene brown's definition um you know she says uh shame is like the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging that, mm. you know, it's, it's not just that we've done these bad things, but that the, the, um, the, the sum of all of these bad things makes us unworthy of love and mm. belonging. I think that's helpful. That's um, we're gonna probably list out a bunch of authors, so we'll we'll have like a rolling count at the end to help you if you want to read about this more. Um, the, the the so that's kind of our baseline. Shame is this not what you did, but whatever the actions of your past make you feel. And I like Jason's distinction. Shame is specifically that feeling that says, "Man, I did this. Not only am I guilty, but I am no longer worthy of connection or love from those mm -hmm. around me." Right. So one question I have is like, do we live in a shame culture in America um, or not? Like, it, you know, most that I've read is like we grow up in our household in honor, shame, cultural setting. But we go to school, we make friends with, we live and work in 
a guilt and innocence in Western culture. So I, if those concepts or those terms are new, I think it'd be really helpful to kind of break down because it'll kind of give us a good foundation to, mm. you know, go from there. But yeah, for you guys, what are the differences between those two cultures that you've read or that you've personally seen that you feel like might be helpful to flesh out? I know one author, his name is Joseph Heinrich or Henrik. Mm. He, one thing he says is that guilt, it depends on your own standards and self-evaluation while shame depends on societal standards and public judgment. Mm. So it's almost like with guilt, even if you like, let's say you remove God out of the picture, it almost seems like you could get yourself out of guilt. So long as you like achieve certain things or do certain things mm-hmm. versus shame again, because it's more communal by nature, it depends almost on how the community views you. And so you could be the most successful person yet. There could still be shame that you feel in a Eastern context. And so that's maybe one way it plays out. Uh, although it is interesting, I feel like Western culture, even though it's very still guilt-ridden, it's based upon like what you do. Like cancel culture, that's such like a shame thing. Yeah, like yeah, the community yeah. is like canceling you. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, that's fascinating. And I'll, actually, I'm still trying to like articulate like, what, what's going on there. But it's funny to see like Western society yeah. adopting like the punishment of shame in their. They're, u- in- they're using our toxicity. <laughs> against themselves you know and it's they realize how strong it is it, ever, it works it works man. It works, works really ending, well ending career then and everything yeah and no, i i think tom's definition or that that is usually helpful like a practical example what i found really interesting is like you know how news and the media portray courtroom proceedings in an eastern culture and a western culture it's so different mm. so for a western trial like let even take donald trump like the defendant or the accused always walks in like kind of almost proudly like I I can prove my innocence. Like he doesn't cover his or her face. He walks in with like a team of like lawyers, very well dressed, often in suits. And they take like, they're almost choreographing, hey, they let the photographers know we're going to walk out of the courtroom at this time, be there, take photos. When you see any courtroom proceedings, especially in Korea, when the defendant's walking in, they're they're completely covering their face. Mm. And their whole team does everything in their power to make sure their face is not shown because they're trying to literally save face. And I was like, oh, I think that's one of the best depictions of that distinction that we live in, right? That like in America, it's like, I did wrong, but I can fix it. I think in the Eastern cultures we grew up in, it's like, I did wrong and there is something terribly wrong with me that has disconnected me from society. So I think we, would you would you guys agree we live in that, weird mixture of both cultures and like how have you seen that play out in your own life of that tension if you felt that at all yes i do feel like we we live in a mix of both cultures for sure um one of the things i think we need to be careful of is i feel like anytime it comes to shame we attribute it to like our cultural identity Mm. like oh uh, we feel this way because we're Asian and it's in our, it's like in our blood. Yeah. When I do think, and, and Daniel Lee talks about this a lot, but I do think a lot of it is actually like a self-hatred that is born out of racism, you know, and living in, you know, that it's, it's like, I think sometimes we can actually make it a, like we can blame ourselves for like the shame that we feel. You know, because this is just how our culture is. But actually, a lot of the shame that we feel is like living in a very white normative 
culture and and developing a kind of self-hatred toward ourselves. So I, I do think like it's nuanced and it's, you know, we're probably like, um, we're moving in and out of like our, mm-hmm. you know, our culture, white culture, but then even in there, there's there's actually a lot of overlap as well. It's almost like the same tension you feel when like people are like lonely in the West. Because in a sense, it's like, well, you're your own person. You should feel self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And yet human beings are made for like intimacy. Mm-hmm. But intimacy mm-hmm. takes like sacrifice and responsibility and community. Mm-hmm. So there's like this tension you're dealing with. And I feel like it's the same with like shame. It's like, well, I shouldn't feel shame because I'm my own person. I could absolve myself. And yet there is that shame factor. Then we don't know what to do with that. We just know how to weaponize it. But we don't know what to how mm-hmm. to deal with this shame thing that arises. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. So to you guys, like shame is almost, uh, it's also proof that we're made in the image of God to be in relationship and to be in community because it kind of reminds you, right, that you're connected and not truly an individual. I mean, it's kind of, we're going to touch upon it, I think, later, but like shame is like an inevitable product of a fallen world that's communal mm. and you can't escape community. And so, and in a sense, it's actually not good per se, but it, it's, it is in a sense, like you should feel shame about certain things. Yeah, yeah. And so it is something that you just can't escape. So on that note, Tom, like one question I was, this was later on, but I'll bring it up now. Is there such thing as good shame and bad shame? This could be a pastoral view. This could just be like a, your personal view. I'm always curious about that too. Cause like, you know, like, okay, for example, like, Right now, these like TikTok, YouTube uh, comedians will like often do stupid things to garner attention, and I like I always say like, man, these guys have no shame, and I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, in that case, like shame's good because like, what are you doing, dude? Like, you know, like, what? Why are you picking on like people at Walmart and stuff like that? So I guess for you guys, like, yeah, well, how do you see that? Like, is there a good shame? Is there a bad shame? I mean, I think so. <laughs> I think that's. I think there's some things you should be shameful of. <laughs> like, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. So what, what do you think, and this maybe is probably getting more into our pastoral theological side, what constitutes, like what, what distinguishes good and bad shame in your mind, I guess then? Hmm, I have to think about that more, but I do feel like, so, so in a sense it's good because it shows like your, your, uh, your compass, your, mm-hmm. the compass in your conscience is alive mm-hmm. and you care about what other people think and you care about your witness or... Yeah. Or, or your reputation or so forth. And that's like, that's actually a good thing. I think it becomes bad when you're ashamed, when you feel ashamed about things that you shouldn't feel ashamed of, like it's been like placed upon you or like where that shame like leads you, like it leads you to this darker place that it's almost like there's nothing that could absolve that. And so there's just some like toxic ways that it transforms into. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I mean, just just my gut is to say that yes, there there can be like a healthy shame and a toxic shame, and I would say maybe a healthy shame would be, you know, it's it's almost like the experience of this is who I am created to be, and when you operate in a way um, that goes against that core identity, you know. Um, and we would say as believers, our core identity is our identity in Christ, right? And I think there is a healthy kind of shame that 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 is that describes that feeling. Um, whereas I think 
unhealthy shame or like the kind of like debilitating shame it's where you actually feel like no i'm there's something inherently wrong with me i see and therefore i'm unworthy of love and belonging right and that mm-hmm. and how that colors everything that you do and it, it that kind of like um th- that's the underlying um belief that you're operating under and you know that you carry with you into all your relationships and i think it kind of has a way of poisoning like everything you touch that's helpful so from that i guess they are very practical maybe more pastoral too uh how have you seen both of our all three of us how have we seen shame affect individual people and also just kind of in our ministry like in churches like how have you seen that come alive and really damage people, really weigh people down? Because I think often it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we all have shame. And we kind of just cast it off. It's like, oh, we're Asian. That's just an Asian thing. Kind of like what you mentioned, Jason. But I think shame is like one of the most powerful things that takes a grip of our churches as the Asian American churches and also de- debilitates any spiritual growth uh, and any community to like real community to grow. Right. So, yeah. How have you guys seen shame, shame come alive? In, in individual and churches? I think the biggest way that I see it is people are just hiding. Like the natural response to shame is you hide and you cover. And so you put, put on, or to be a persona, or even you, you cope with it by, with addictions or whatever it might be, but it's like bearing the feelings that accompany shame. And it's, you're not willing to even open that door. I think that's the biggest thing. Like you just sense like this person is not being their true self, but it's their false self that's being, that's being, that they're walking around with so it's hiding there's a uh, we're probably gonna quote a lot of people in this episode so bear with us great guy kurt thompson he's like a doctor but also a christian wrote this really good book on the soul called the soul of shame to, to tom's point he had a quote that like really stuck out to me where he basically talking about like quote shame leads us to cloak ourselves with invisibility to prevent further inter- intensification of that shame emotion the expense of this labor is often buried as uh, hidden costs as we collect multiple secrets and keep them neatly stacked in our closets until they can no longer contain them. And I realized like, it's like shame kind of begets more shame that you have to hide more and more. And that's why I often see like, I don't know. Okay. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but at like white churches, I feel like there's something like crazy going on every week. It's like a confession of like, like, oh, like this happened, this happened. It's like, oh, crazy. Asian churches is like, we're all great. And then it's like, by the way, I have a love child with a different woman or a man, right? It's like, what? Like, and then, and then they disappear there? from the church. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you see them in, like at a different church across the like, city or the different OC. And it's just like, what the heck? And I, I think it's true that like even on a sin sin scale, we we like, oh, nothing's going on. Like, yeah, I'm not watching porn. And then it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I cheated on my spouse. And I'm just like, oh, it's probably shame. And the invisibility, they got you there. So I, I agree with Tom. I see that totally. I also see a lot of um, like self-punishment as a result of shame. Mm-hmm. So um, people unwilling to forgive themselves, um, you know, like they're harder on themselves than God is on them. Mm. you know and um like people who in some ways like are still held hostage you know by 
maybe mistakes that they've made in the past. Um, and they feel like it's not even that other people like are, are telling them they're unworthy. Like they are telling themselves they're unworthy, yeah. you know? And so a lot of times this can, this leads to, you know, getting in toxic relationships and not being able to get out of it, believing that that's basically what you deserve. Yeah. You know, um, there, I mean, it just, it, it goes on and on. Like these are sometimes people who take a lot of abuse um, from superiors, people in authority in their lives, parental figures, because they've just bought into the belief that that is, that is who they are and that is what they deserve. And they don't deserve any better than that. What's interesting too is I, I learned this recently, like I think people who live in shame, they live primarily off of their secondary emotions, not their primary emotions. Hmm. Like secondary emotions, meaning like if something happens, it's easier to access anger for some people. Hmm. And because that's a secondary emotion, it's easier to express that versus in reality, what they're really feeling is sadness. Mm-hmm. But to share that you're sad, that's actually pretty vulnerable. And you're almost like ashamed of that neediness that you have. So you will bury that primary emotion and just cover it with secondary emotions. And there's no, there's like the truth is limited. So you're not really resolving your relational issues because you're not being vulnerable in what's really going on. And so when you're living in that secondary emotion, like, like level, you're not really getting to the root issue of things. Because again, we feel this deep shame of the primary emotions that we're feeling. Mm. That's so helpful. Mm. Like my therapist, I don't know if we can share this that we all share three of us here um one thing he told me was telling me like like when you don't access your primary emotions out of shame you're never really living life you know what i'm saying it's just like Mm -hmm. you're living off fumes and anything will set you off like big or small because you're just not getting to a root issue i always bring this up and i don't know people might get ticked off like when koreans play flag football like they're not going against the other person. They're going against their dad or like a lack of, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and that's why it gets so, it's like, it's like, bro, it's, it's flag football, but it gets so heated and competitive, right? You know, basketball, like even beef, that scene of like when they play basketball, it wasn't really basketball. Like Jason's, Justin Min, Jason's brother was like playing for his, you know, his livelihood and his stake at the church. So I just realized like, yeah, like, and then when you serve in the church, you're not serving to like serve often. It's to hide that and to like, oh, I'm this or that. So I just see this spiraling like more and more so crazily that like all you got to, this won't solve everything, but just like just admitting that you're sad can do leaps and pounds, you know, or to admit that you're grieving that a loss that you're kind of ashamed of can do leaps and bounds. Before you nominate anyone to be an elder, watch them play basketball. Dude, that's such a... You should, ultimate you, character test. You should add that in your constitution. Dude, if basketball existed in the first century, Paul would have put that man as a <laughs> list of his qualifications. Basketball? Or like follow them around discreetly while they play a round of competitive golf. Because like, <laughs> you write your own score. You know what I'm talking about? Jason knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? And like... You see every single truth of that person. Like even me. Like it all comes up. Golf know? exposes all. Yeah, it really golf, does. Yeah. Basketball exposes how you relate to others. Golf exposes the character of your soul for reals. <laughs> That's why I don't play sports. No one will ever know <laughs> who I really am. Uh, um, that's helpful. Uh, any other ways that like, yeah, you feel like shame has a really strong grip on our people? 
I just think it's I just think it's the like the first like it, it's like the first um domino that falls like you know I I mean I I think it's it's Adam and Eve all over again right what's the yeah. first move yeah. after sin uh, you know as Tom mentioned it's to hide right they immediately covered themselves right and so and then everything that ensued afterwards it's basically yeah, people trying to be like God, realizing they can't be like God, they're not like God, and then finding any way to to hide themselves. And like, ev- it's like you, uh, you know, and and you can hide yourself. Like the 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 crazy thing is, you can try to hide your shame with anything, like your money, your resume, your status. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's just a whole slew of other sins and other things that kind of come as a result of that hiding, you know, and so. In some ways, so much of I'm sure uh, what we um, you know deal with as pastors, and um, so much of like what we talk about with our com- congregation, what we navigate with them, has its roots in shame, you know. And so um, I do think it's connected to everything. And and the the best like way to figure out like how much of that shame is buried, it's you see it in your present relationships. Mm. Like I, I, this quote that I heard. I mean, I, I sent you guys that that Rankin Wilborn testimony mm-hmm. that he gave about how he fell, and he said a quote that like, that's really fascinating. He was saying that the problem with burying your emotions is they don't go away; they're just buried alive. And when stress piles onto that old wooden bridge, the cracks get revealed, and our emotions leak out onto the people around us, no matter how careful we try to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's so true. Like you could try to hide it all you want, but it gets slowly leaked out, and you see it in the dysfunctions of your present relationships. And look, we can go on and on about how this affects us. And we're at least two of us here are experts at, at you know, piling on. But to, to be more positive. Um, yeah. What, what do you feel like are ways now then as Christians, as more informed Asian Americans, what are ways we can combat shame more effectively as a church? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious because I've heard a lot of theories and ideas um some some good some bad but i'm more curious what you all three of us personally have seen work or or kind of hold to or believe to into combating shame i mean i'll set jason up so he could give us the answer but i I do think one helpful thing to know is the bible talks a lot about shame Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, i read something that said like the term like guilt which is oftentimes what we associate with the gospel it's mentioned like about 155 times in the bible but shame and all its derivatives is mentioned 345 times. Mm. And so the Bible actually addresses shame so much more than even guilt. And it makes sense because the Bible, it's a product of a communal culture. So you're going to hear this idea of what the gospel does with your shame. So there's a lot that the Bible has to say about it. This, I think this is pretty um, obvious, but so hard to cultivate in our churches. But um, I think one of the antidotes to like a a culture of shame is a culture of vulnerability, right? And I think um, we really have to think through how to create safe spaces um, in our, in our churches where people feel, you know, feel, have the permission and feel the safety to be able to share vulnerably about the things that are happening in their lives. And I think it's not just 
people saying, okay, let's share our deepest, darkest secrets. I think those spaces have to be very, very intentionally cultivated. You know, I remember one of the first um, kind of like a small group type of thing I did in seminary where it was, you know, people were going to share some pretty deep stuff. Literally the entire first session was spent on a community agreement talking about this is the kind of space we're trying to cultivate here. Yeah. This is what's going to be required of everyone. You know, this is what like showing up for each other is going to look like. Um, and it, we, it was just going down the line and there was just so much intentionality around cultivating that space, um, which I think is really important. The second thing is that I think church has really done a poor job on is kind of speaking of something like porn, for example, it's ironic because I think we understand that, um, you know, shame is more about identity and guilt is more about behavior. And yet the way we try to tackle things like porn is always on a behavioral level. It's mm. like, don't do it, mm. you know, like, um, like don't sleep with your girlfriend, you know? Um, and, and it's like, okay, it's, and so like when they fail though, it's like all they have is the directive to like change their behavior. Yeah. And nobody is talking about like, why like you know what what's behind that behavior or like you know what is going on here or what is like porn kind of satisfying for you or you know what is the thing that's driving your porn addiction rather than porn is bad don't do it anymore you know and i just think that only cultivates more shame in the culture and so i think churches have to change the way they even talk about some of this stuff do you have a theory of why churches do it that way I personally think it's because it's way easier. Right, right. It's more 100%. simple. Yeah, it's like behavior modification is like the easiest thing, you know, and you can, as a pastor, be like, I told them don't do it, you know, it's, mm. you know, and and then people keep doing it. And now people are more ashamed because they've been told not to do it and they don't know what to do with it, you know. And so, so everyone's hiding now. Everyone's hiding. <laughs> everyone's hiding. Yeah. One thing that came up that's really helpful, but Jay, my lead pastor, Good friend of all three of us. Um, he's going through it, and he's he's said it on pulpit. All right, so I can I think I need I need to ask him before I say this. So if I edit it out, whatever. And he was like, he you know I'd always ask him like Jay, are you doing okay? And he's always like, yeah, I'm, uh, you know I work here. Like I'm I'm okay, you know. And then I remember there was one staff meeting in particular where he was like, I was like, hey Jay, how are you doing? He's like, I'm burnt out. And he said it, and he's like. And he told the staff, like, I need to say it because I realize naming things gives me power over mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, like, that's so true. Like, shame shame works off of the masking of naming whatever you're going through, right? And it's like shame is this cycle just over and over again because you don't name it, it just gets stronger and stronger. So I realized, like, I mean, one of it, on one side of it is, like, confession that I think our churches have a poor... Um, practice and teaching on confession and what that looks mm -hmm. like but not just on these sinful things but also like jay mentioned like it's kind of shameful to say you're burnt out in an asian church right mm -hmm. it's like you're always like he was saying like you always want to give off that you're burnt off but you're like oh but i'm not i'm not you know i'm, I'm grind for the kingdom for the glory right all the the phrases we talked about yeah, you but have you just, to still look a little tired. Yeah, you have to look a little, but you can't say you're tired, you know? <laughs> you can't say it's like tired. your eyes have to be all bloodshot stuff, right? And That's then, a holy man. Yeah, it's a holy man. But Jay's just like, no, nah, like, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm, burnt out. I got to name it. And I was like, man, that's so helpful for people that like 
definitely is not a regular practice in our churches or in even, you know, in our lives too. Well, you know, what makes it hard too, though, is I think people sometimes have expressed to me, what makes it hard is not just sharing it, but people don't know how to receive it. Like, what oh, do you do when people say that side. stuff yeah, on the other yeah. side? And I think when, you know, you, when you share something like really deep, like in a mm-hmm. community group of something happened that was really shameful about yourself yeah. and it's like quiet. And then the community group leader goes, well, thank you for sharing next person. <laughs> and it's like, man, you're never going to share anything ever again. Exactly. I mean, um, Roy Kim talks about this all the time and he came and he, he's actually a therapist in the OC. We all know him. And he came and spoke to our CG leaders to train them. And that was one of the first things he said. He, he was like, look, like getting someone to share, it's like how you respond to that person is going to be the biggest determining factor of whether that person will ever share anything, Mm. you know, again. And I think, I think because we haven't been trained properly and I think because we're uncomfortable with it too, somebody shares something and we just, we don't know how to respond. So we'll be like, like even shame in taking that, right? (laughs) Yes. No, exactly. Like, why are you sharing that? It's like, dude, like, why are you getting naked? Like, that's that's what it feels like, right? (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And, and I think it's just easier for this community group leader to be like, any others, you know, <laughs> any, any other prayer requests? <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's good. Cause it's like, I, I totally agree. Right. Like we naming it helps, but like when you name it silence on the other side, doesn't. So I guess like for you guys, yeah. What are like, oh, I'm gonna be honest as a community and people that is Asian American, it's really hard to deal with scandalous things right in front of us. So what are great ways to respond to those who confess or name what they're going through that are probably seen as shameful. I know to keep it really simple, when someone shares like a bombshell in like your group, yeah, I think it's like up to the group, but you need to respond to that. Like someone needs to ask a follow-up question or mm-hmm. needs to affirm that person, like some type of follow-up, even if it's like a fumbling statement, like something needs to happen, not silence. So that's yeah. like one big thing. I'm not sure how much space can be given in like, let's say you have like 15 people and like in the living room, obviously yeah. you can't like hijack the meeting based upon that one person most of the times. Um, so I do feel like what also helps a lot is follow up. So if someone shares something like you, like you DM them and you let them know, like you appreciate them sharing or you want to reach out and meet with them more one-on-one, hopefully churches have like spaces where it's not just those large settings that are there. But I do feel like at the very least, like responding to it, following up with it, I think that's like huge rather than just being silent. Um, I will, one thing I will say is, um, and I want to say this like, uh, with a little bit of a disclaimer, because I think there is a, there is a way that pastors can sometimes be guilty of leaking from the pulpit, you know, like, um, just oversharing things that they themselves haven't processed yet. Yeah. But I do think this is a, it's like a cultural thing that needs to shift in the entire congregation. And I think, um, I feel like all culture trickles down from the top. And so I do think the pastor, the lead church leaders, the staff needs to kind of model a culture of vulnerability. Um, you know, whatever that looks like. And so I think, you know, what, what Jay did for your staff, that's a culture shaping kind of thing for, I think, 
where now I think your staff takes their cues from that, you know, and hopefully in the ministries they lead, you know, they're, they're kind of leading with vulnerability and brokenness as well, naming it. And then hopefully those people who disciple others will do the same. And I think that'll trickle down, but I do think it creates the, like in some ways, like when, um, leaders are unwilling to go there and we just expect it from our yeah, congregation yeah, members. Yeah. Um, you're never going to create that culture of vulnerability that I think is, um, that helps set you free from yeah. shame. You're almost like giving your congregation permission to share when you do that, right? Mm-hmm. That's helpful because I don't want to speak to everyone, but you didn't see that in your parents usually. So you almost like they have no baseline, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to almost be a second father or mother. I mean, like it's almost like in the community group setting. Like I've been in settings where like nobody shares anything deep. It's just like very surface level work and so forth. But then one person, like the leader, shares something vulnerable, and then the next person, all of a sudden, they get vulnerable when they share. So you almost see like this modeling that happens. And again, it just gives everyone permission to open up. So I think it is helpful when someone does it, and yeah. ideally, it would be the leader. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Mm-hmm. I've been in community groups where like honestly, nothing's going on, and then someone shares something crazy. It's like that's crazy. Like you're next. It's like oh, I have to make up something. Like <laughs> oh, feels, yeah. I know when you're the guy who has to share after that yeah, person yeah, who like, drops the bombshell. You're like making up sins that like you know, admit, but, I, I don't also know. struggle. <laughs> yeah. No, that's helpful. I think it's like shame is a communal problem. The solution is a communal solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so going from that, I want to get more specific. Uh, why? Why? And we might have already answered this. Why does shame have such a stronghold with the Asian American churches in our network? Cause, um, or in our circles and in our kind of life. Um, I mean, it's obviously the cultural stuff, but like, is there anything else that you've seen? Cause I'm just like, yeah, just realizing like looking at our churches and our experiences too. Like if you look back at your youth group and your even college ministry, so much of shames there too. And it's just kind of like, why, why do you guys think that's so prevalent in our circles? I'm not sure it's exactly it, but I do think Asians in particular, even when there's nothing bad happening, we still like shame each other. <laughs> like there's so like meaning like Asian American environments, they're not the most affirming environments. You don't go out of your way to like encourage people and to like affirm them because we're just not used to that. Yeah. And so in a context where you don't get affirmation for even the good that you do, mm. why, why on earth would you expect affirmation when you're doing bad? Mm. And so because you're like in this context that's filled with a lack of like blessing each other and a lack of encouragement, you're not going to feel safe to be able to share things and hope that you get affirmed for that as well. So I do feel like the environment that we've created, which is you know in the normal weeks, there's not like this affirming environment. And so therefore in the troubling weeks, Again, you're not going to expect that either. So I feel like I wonder, I wonder if in white spaces, if they're like, you know, maybe they should be more ashamed about things than they, than they, you know, ought to hide, but they're more willing to like share because it's, you know, it t- they tend to be really good at that's, like affirming than That's so Asians. true. Because I just came back from a conference that with Tyson. So, so affirming, huh? Yeah. Like, and it's like, okay, when Tyson is preaching, John Tyson, John Mark Homer's in the corner. And he's like intensely like staring at John Tyson. I'm like, he must be faking it, you know? But on Instagram, mid-sermon, he posts a story like, 
this is the most incredible sermon that I'm listening to, like from Tyson. I was like, would I ever see like Asian pastors do that? Dude, like, our associates would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's. It, I think. I think you're right. I think that 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 that's actually a really great point because I mean we talk about honor shame all the time and we do not have a culture of honor <laughs> at all. You know? Shame. Like I mean, we shame, honor shame, like shame. our elders, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, in some ways, like um, we we we're like as I think we're just so much better at being hard on ourselves, Mm. and in in some ways, like I remember, like I had a I had a black friend who used to uh, at a church um, at the church I went to in Philly, which was predominantly Asian American, and he came from a gospel church, and something that he said, which was so interesting, he was like, "Man," because he played drums. Um, for our our worship team when he was attending our church and i was like you know what are the differences that you've seen he's like man like when i when i drum at my you know at my at my home church he's like mid-set people are like coming up to me high-fiving me (laughs) on the stage you know and you know and he was like the thing i realized here was you know if i were to ever compliment anyone like or encourage anyone and say, you did such a great job. He's like, why do you guys always say, no, 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 it wasn't that great. It wasn't that great. You know, always downplaying, um, you know, anything good, like unwilling to accept, like unwilling to affirm and like encourage. Um, And it's usually just like constructive criticism, feedback. um, And yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. Like when, when there is no culture of honor or affirmation or encouragement, you know, and I, I think um, with Asian Americans, and I don't, I think this is like probably a universal thing, but Asian Americans are especially guilty of it. Asians are guilty of this. You do get honor when you perform or, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually a, a reward for like some great achievement, you know, yeah. or accomplishment. Yeah. And you rarely will affirm someone who hasn't really done anything to prove themselves. But mm-hmm. that only leads to a greater culture of shame. Because mm-hmm. if you're not producing and if you're not accomplishing these great feats, you're like, oh, what am I? You know, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm nothing, you know? And so I do think there is something to that. That may be one way that you can combat, you know, allowing your cult- like culture to become one of shame is to cultivate a culture of honor, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Dang, we're not an honor shame culture. We're just a shame culture. <laughs> we're shame shame, bro. Shame shame. Shame shame. It's just uh, that's so sad. But it's so true. The more Jason like the more he talks about it, I was like, damn. We're so ashamed of ourselves, it like leaks to even honoring other pastors here. Like, hey, I'm gonna be honest, like, you know, when when you when Asians hear another Asian preacher, it's like it's always like, oh, I could preach that part better, or this part better, or like, you know, blah, 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 blah. But then the Keller, it's like, ah, oh, can't, like, I gotta preach it this way, you know? And it's just like, like, I, he, Keller's brilliant, and we all love Keller, but it's just like, yeah, we, 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 we hate on each other so much, too. And when an Asian preaches, like, I'm better than him. When a white guy preaches, like, he's better than me. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, okay, maybe the end, right? Like, uh, this is a great ending. Um, I never thought of it that way. Like we live in a not an honor shame culture. I I think the title of our episode would probably be shame shame culture, right? Um, <laughs> what are 
what are practical ways that we can do the honoring, affirming, encouraging um, on a on a more like a structural church level um, as Asians to kind of combat that? Because that's so true, man. Like, is it the white kind of like you know really propping each other up? Because you know I don't know if that would work with us too. Um, I'm very curious what you guys think. Yeah, it's true. You can't like force it because when you make it like this thing that you just like pull out the most random things to honor with, it's like, come on, man. Like it has to feel like this organic nature yes. to it. Yes. Uh, I know like one paradigm that I feel like I would want there to be like an art community is I feel like when, you know, we say, hey, let's honor each other or so forth. That sounds like really intense. Just like the intensity that we don't like, but then we naturally default to being like indifferent. But rather than being like indifferent or intense, we should just be intentional. Mm. Like you don't have to make it this grand show, but like what's just something that you know you, when you just notice this person, like you could affirm them. And I feel like there's always something if you share life with somebody that you notice and that you can affirm. Uh, so just like it's really little, like the smallest comments, and you'll just be shocked. Like at the end of the year, when they'll say that one thing you said, like just. It made me like change my perception of myself or that situation. So just being really intentional in the small ways, I think is helpful. That's really helpful. And if you can't think of something to affirm them, something's probably wrong with you, right? <laughs> That's more personal. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, we used to do an exercise, um, like within our staff, um, that was called, you know, I think it's been adopted, uh, like a lot of people do this and it's called the Jesus I see in you. And mm. it's kind of like a regular practice that you do, um, you know, with a group or a group you're leading or a community group, it could be in a staff, but it's, it's literally just like um, an opportunity for you to, you know, affirm the people in your group. And, you know, these are, this is the aspects of, Christ likeness that I see in you yeah. and you see like in those exercises um how healing it is for the people receiving the affirmations you know cuz a lot of times they don't even know you feel this way about them yeah you know and so you're just it's you're almost as a leader intentionally creating that space to say like we're just going to take some time to literally encourage one another and it's just such a weird thing and you can see at the beginning if if this you know most people look uncomfortable mm. when they're receiving because it's you know you're just now receiving all this encouragement from everyone but at the end of the exercise sometimes you have people like crying like mm. they're you know it's like you see like reversals happening of things that they thought about themselves or things they heard from others um and so it's really powerful exercise and i think things like that are really helpful you're like reclaiming what would Jesus do and making yes. it more. I love it. Not behavior modification, but identity. I love it. Love it. That's helpful. Yeah. I'll end with this. I, Jason already touched on it. I, I think one thing we can also do is learn how to take compliments better so that it's easier to give. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you compliment someone, they're like, oh, no, it's okay. It's like, it's like I don't want to compliment you again. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want fake humility, you know? And that's, like, so true. Like, we, we have to learn the art of, like, receiving encouragement well, which I don't, I haven't figured out. Like, I'm so cynical that if someone gives me encouragement, I'm always, like, they don't really mean it. Like, they're trying to get something from me, you know? But that's how, like, much shame has messed me up. So I think, yeah, I think a part of it is also, like, we have to learn to accept it more. 
um, and to be more intentional in how we accept it and not to make it like false humility as your automatic gut reaction because that's such a cop out, you know? So, yeah. Cool. Well, hope that was helpful. Um, hopefully talking about shame is helpful. Maybe last thing really quick. Is there any one resource, one author that you would recommend to talk about shame or to, uh, to read about shame? And then we'll, we can end it off from there. A nice intro book is this book, Shame Interrupted by Ed Welch. That was just a nice like introduction to the topic. Hmm. I've, I've already said this. I think a great next step book from that is uh, The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. It's a little headier, a lot of research, but I think it's so helpful for, for us. So that's that's one thing I would recommend. I'm, I'm going to give like the most generic one. I mean, okay, so I, I just finished, I finally read Tim Keller's book on forgiveness. Hmm. And I actually think that's a really good hmm. book for shame. Um, um, but I also, again, I mean, I, I quoted her early on. Um, I really love all of Brene Brown's stuff. Obviously, some of the stuff you have to kind of um, read it through your Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. um, and I think not all of it is, um, some of it is a little questionable. But I think in terms of like definitions, um, helping you to see kind of like how shame can impact your life and how vulnerability can actually, I mean, I, so much of what she talks about, um, I think is really, really helpful. So I would recommend any of Brene Brown's stuff. Great, great. I think those are all helpful. Hope that was helpful. Um, hope this episode was helpful in whatever way. So with that, Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback, we'd love it, whether it's a rating on any of the platforms or even comment or DM, uh, we would appreciate that too. So thanks for listening. Hope you're blessed and hope to see you in our next episode.